as we continue through our sermon series, working through this letter, we're going to look at the first seven verses this morning, and as you're finding the passage, I, I want to make note and, and remind us that you may, um, you may hear of Hebrews 11 and have in your mind, in a sense, kind of a standalone chapter where, you know, out, out of context, you, you may run there and want to read through the list of those of old who walked by faith. And I, I want us to just make sure as we're looking at this chapter that we don't pull it out of its context, that we don't lose sight of the great need for the uh, original recipients to hear these words and for us today. And so keeping it within the context of the letter, I think, is extremely important And so now follow along as I read from God's word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Hear the word of the Lord. And so in this chapter, as it opens up before us, I want to again encourage us. We, we see a description of what faith is and examples of faith as we look at Hebrews chapter 11. And all of that is designed to encourage the first century Hebrew Christians to hold on tightly to Christ, to persevere in their confidence in him, to endure by clinging to him and all the blessings that God has given those in Christ. And so the way the author inspired by the Spirit of God, encourages these original recipients, Hebrew Christians, is by showing, and some may be perplexed by this, but by showing that these great men and women of old lived by this faith, a, a, an expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises and the coming of the Messiah This was what they also believed in and were holding fast towards. This is important because if you recall, these believers were experiencing a temptation 
to walk away, to return to the old. And the author, inspired by the Spirit of God, wants to help point their gaze that they were looking forward. And by you thinking that it's better to go back, you've missed the, the, um, the person, the one in whom they had placed their hope and trust in. And so to connect the, the dots here, those of old lived by faith, meaning they, trust, they trusted God in what he said, and they trusted in his promises. And the author is saying, brothers and sisters, do not be tempted to go back or to leave the blessed hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it, because it's actually the same living by faith that you are called to be about. Now, if you recall, there was a, a new section that began in, in chapter 10, verse 19, or kind of a, a, a corner that was turned, so to speak. And it really began to address now the duties of believers. So in the first 10 chapters or so, the author diligent, diligently laid out all the indicatives, all that God has accomplished in and through his son and why Jesus is better. And there's kind of this turning point in chapter 10, verse 19, where he says, this is what God has done. Now this is how you ought to live. And so the remaining portion of this letter is now doctrine applied. How is it that we are to now walk out who we are because of what Christ has accomplished through his son? And so you see evidence of this in the let us statements in verses 22, 23, and 24, if you have your Bibles open, of chapter 10. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. As the end of chapter 10 unfolds, we see that there is also a call for this patient waiting, this enduring, this persevering, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. We see this in verses 32 through 36. Nothing but real faith in the veracity of the promiser in God can sustain the heart and prompt this kind of steady endurance during a life that is long and drawn out with many seasons of trials and suffering. Therefore, in Hebrews 10.38, the author quotes that striking word from Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. This is our DNA, brothers and sisters in Christ. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, when we look at chapter 11, it's important, again, not to just disconnect. The author is helping us, helping the original recipients understand what that even means. What does it mean that the righteous shall live by faith? And he does so by first defining faith and then giving us example upon example. And so chapter 11, really, verses 1 through 3 is that kind of definition of helping us understand what is biblical faith that the righteous are to live by. And then the remaining four through the end of the chapter are, are just a, a plethora 
of examples of what this looks like on the ground. The righteous shall live by faith. The Lord is very gracious and kind towards us. You, you don't just hear a statement that the Apostle Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith, and then don't have, we don't have any legs for it to actually walk or to see it or put, put flesh on the bone, so to speak, but, but we see it fully in front of us, laid out, unpacked, so to speak, so we're not left in confusion. What does it mean for the righteous to live by faith? We're going to spend some time, Lord willing, just entrenched in chapter 11, and we pray that the Lord would help us. And so first, a general description of faith. Now, faith, verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And really, this comes from the, the prince of the Puritans, William Perkins. He defines three effects of faith that are set down before us in verses 1, 2, and 3. The first one is that faith actually reveals reality, or faith unlocks reality for us. Now, I want you to see in verse 1 how this is so. So the first effect is that faith makes things which are not, but only are hoped for, exist and be present with the believer. In order to get us there, wrapping our minds and our hearts around, what exactly is verse 1 saying? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I actually want to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. So please listen as I read. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, in order for us to start to really understand how faith reveals reality, we first have to make note of just the, the, the way in which we, it, according to the flesh or society or culture, understand the realm of reality. And most of the time, truth is defined by kind of two principal means. The first would be by our senses. If I cannot see it, touch it, taste it, hear it, then I won't believe it. That, that's one way that people think uh, they're engaged in reality. Another would be our minds. When it comes to reason, if I can't figure it out and explain it, then it must not be true. And what I believe verse 1 is helping us understand is that faith actually unlocks something that, according to the Apostle Paul, no eye can see, no ear can hear, and the heart of man imagined, our, our minds cannot comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. So then how can we actually experience or engage in reality? Faith. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And so in a sense, we are moving beyond our senses and beyond what we can 
mentally figure out or explain and into the realm of biblical faith. Yet, what I don't want you to hear me say is that faith is somehow irrational or somehow the enemy of reason. Faith is not believing in your heart what your mind otherwise tells you isn't true. Faith is not trusting in something for which there are no facts. Faith is not an existential blind leap into the dark. Faith is not putting your trust in something or someone about whom you know nothing. Faith is not the antithesis of a scientific endeavor. Faith is not superstition. Faith is not a positive mental attitude. And faith is not wishful thinking. According to our passage before us this morning, faith is gripped by God as he reveals himself in his word. And faith is gripped by God's promises. So what the Apostle Paul was saying in, in that passage we read earlier, no ear can hear, no, no, no um, tongue or eye can see, uh, no, let me make sure I don't mess it up again as I'm trying to restate it, uh, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Faith is helping us understand that if God has spoken in his word and God has revealed to us his promises, so who he is and what he has promised, faith is trusting him, staking our life upon him. And so we are gripped, transfixed by what he has revealed to us, and we are gripped, transfixed by the promises that he has given. Another way to think about this, faith is taking to heart what God has said. Romans 10 uh, chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. This idea of actually trusting that if God has spoken, what he has said is our reality. A.W. Pink said it like this, faith shuts its eyes to all that is seen and open, opens its ears to all that God has said. Another way to think of this, faith gives God's promises a present reality in the soul. So even though they pertain to the future, and my life may not fully, in, according to my senses, both physical and in my mind, fully grasp it, I am trusting that promise, and that reality informs or molds my, my current state. So even though you cannot yet see it, you believe God has said, and that reality actually takes hold of your heart and informs how you live now. In a sense, this is just another way of talking about the already and not yet dimensions of the Christian experience. There is much that is not yet ours. We await it but we believe that it will be. It will come when Christ returns. But there is also part of that future inheritance that is the already, already ours by faith. And that, that actually informs and affects our current experience. We can actually enjoy today what will come in fullness tomorrow. 
I hope that makes sense. The, the author to this letter in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 23 actually helps us a little bit here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wafering. For he who promised is faithful. How can it be that we could have an unwavering hope? Because the one who promised is faithful. How do we know that? He has revealed it to us in his word. We trust him. We believe that what he has said about himself and what he has promised is true. Matthew Henry once said it like this, Faith is a firm persuasion and expectation that God will perform all that he has promised us in Christ. And this persuasion is so strong that it gives the soul a kind of possession and present fruition of those very things now. He goes on to say, it gives them a substance in the soul by the first fruits or foretaste of them, so that believers and the exercise of faith are filled with joy uh, unspeakable and full of glory now. So that's the first effect that William Perkins identified. The second is that, that uh, and this is looking at verse 2, the second effect is that faith makes a believer approved of God. Verse 2 says, For it, for by it, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Now, we are going to spend more time looking at this later, but I just want you to hear Romans chapter 4 And we're going to actually look at Abraham's life later as we work through this chapter. But Romans 4, the Apostle Paul really helps us um, give flesh to this reality. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. How is it that they are approved by God? What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, what he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. He gets what he deserves. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so we could have a whole sermon just on this. How is it that the people of God of old were received for their, or or were uh, commended by God by their faith? Or how were they accepted? It is by faith that they were accepted. It was by faith that that they were accounted righteous. And then third, the third effect in verse three is that faith makes a man and woman understand and believe things incredible, incredible to sense and reason. So the author helps us here. He's, he's given us verse 1 and verse 2, and then he gives us an example of what he's talking about. Before we get to people, he gives us an example of creation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, that statement, 
is a big statement. That the way in which all of this came about was that God spoke into nothing and created everything. What a statement. What a reality. Faith unlocks that reality. According to the senses and according to logic or the mind, many people stumble and run up against this and have to figure out some other way that this, all that we see and experience, the cosmos was created by God. By faith, we we hear that because God has spoken it to us. He has declared who he is and what he has done by speaking into existence the universe. Now, by faith, we believe that this is actually how all this came about. So the author gives us this one illustration of how this all works. Real faith is based on real truth. It looks deeply at the world God has made, looks through it, so to speak, and by grace, by the grace of God, you, have, you actually have the ability to see that it is God who created and God gets the glory. Calvin reminds us, John Calvin, creation is the theater of God's glory and the drama of redemption. We know this by faith. So faith furnishes proof to the heart of those spiritual things which cannot be discovered by our own natural senses. That's what Paul was saying in that passage that we read. It's through the work of the Spirit, not your eyes or your ears or what your heart can even imagine. But if you want to If you want to trust that God has said that there is promises that await those who believe in him, if you want that to be an anchor for your soul, it is by faith. He gets all the glory. It is a gift given to those who otherwise would not see it, would not believe it. According to the senses, it just doesn't add up. According to reason, it just doesn't add up. But God has spoken. Will you believe. Faith enables it, its favored possessor, that would be us who live by faith, to understand that which is incomprehensible to mere reason. And it imparts by God's grace a knowledge to which even philosophers and scientists are but strangers. So just as faith can give us a a conviction of what's invisible in the past, When we look at the things to come, it gives us conviction to what lies in the future. I hope that makes sense. He has just given an example of the creation of the cosmos. If if faith allows us to have the conviction that, yes, it is God who spoke and it was created, we're looking back. It's that same living by faith that we look forward and understand that God has made promises and he is faithful to complete all that he has promised his people. A little application here before we move on to the, the examples of, of men of faith. Um, this, this comes from A.W. Pink. And if you're interested in a, an amazing commentary on this letter to the Hebrews, it is about this thick. It's blue. Uh, it's a blue book. And A.W. Pink, is, it's just full of treasures. 
But his application here is, okay, if you believe this, brothers and sisters, that God spoke and created. Since God created the universe out of nothing, how easily can he preserve and sustain us when there is when there is not anything in our view that would make sense that things are going to actually work out. He who can call worlds into existence by the word of his power can command supplies for the neediest of his creatures. If you trust and believe in creation, that it is God who spoke, brothers and sisters, in that by faith, there is much to be gleaned in our present circumstances. If he is able to do that, trust him that he will carry you through whatever it is you're going through. So then he turns our attention to three examples that are pre-patriarch. So this is before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three examples of the life of faith. And as we enter into this, if you're familiar with God's word, there is not much said about Abel. There's not much said about Enoch. There's much more said about Noah. But I think it's important as we're trying to work through these examples of uh, life of faith, that when there is a lack of details given by God in his word, our tendency is to find that there are a plethora of interpretations. And I think this can be to our detriment. When there's not much information given, we, we tread lightly and we, we don't want to create these rabbit trails of interpretation that it might mean this and it might mean that and some of it kind of turns into allegory. And, and I want us to try to stay as tethered to what we're given in God's word and, and how we apply and even understand these examples of uh, living by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. I say that to say that as I worked through these three examples, as we will shortly, there are, there are just a multitude of, of interpretations on exactly what is being described in this life of faith. And I, I want us to just stick as closely. I think we're, we're good to do that. We're, it's right to do that to God's word and what has actually been revealed to us. The first example comes from Genesis chapter 4. Abel, the first children born to the human race. Sometimes just to hear those realities, Adam and Eve, this was, uh, the first offspring was, was Cain and then came Abel. Abel was described to us in Genesis 4 as a shepherd. Cain was a farmer of the land. And each, according to the story, each brought an offering to God. And what we're told, both in Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis 4, is that one of the offerings was accepted and the other was not. Here from from Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Well, we read in Genesis 4.4, And Abel also brought 
of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now here's the question. It may not be the only question, but here's the question I'm posing. Why was Abel's sacrifice acceptable to God? And as we're looking at the context of what we're reading about, the righteous shall live by faith. We need to just simply, this is almost like the Sunday school answer, it was an offering made by faith. Remember, faith being gripped by what God has revealed of himself, and faith is gripped by God's promises. At this point, we can only look back a chapter or two in Genesis and see, okay, what is it that, that Cain and Abel both heard from God? What had God revealed to them? And I think it is important to note in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, we get a very important uh, kernel or seed form of the gospel hope, the, the redemption that God will one day accomplish for sinners. This is after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We hear these words, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, the seed of the woman. He shall bruise your head, speaking to the enemy, the devil, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we can only assume, and I think rightly, that Abel heard this from his parents, maybe even from God himself, but knew of this promised one to come, the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And then he would also have known what happened a little bit later in chapter 3, verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, we don't have time to do a deep dive here, but just know that they were in their nakedness at that point ashamed and God killing whatever animal it was and providing a covering over them. There's a lot there that I want to encourage you to go and think about and meditate on. But Abel surely had recognition of these realities of who God is, what he has said, what he has promised to do, and in response, he brings him an offering by faith, and it is acceptable to God. It made me think as I was studying about this, the difference of the heart in which we bring ourselves into worshiping God. In, in Matthew chapter 15, you hear the Lord Jesus cry out uh, as he is quoting Isaiah, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy, you, prophesy of you when he said, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, these people or this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship. And right there, I think the light bulbs can go off. It's not necessarily that, that Abel brought a certain sacrifice, the content of the offering, and, and Cain did a different content of an offering. But I want to submit to you that the heart in which they came, this by faith Abel offered this offering unto the Lord, that is the difference. A little bit later in 
Matthew 15, we hear, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And then you see just the, the after effects of what transpires between Cain and Abel and what happens. Cain murders his brother. He slains his brother. All of that, I think, points us back to a heart issue before the Lord. Is your heart far from God, or have you heard him, you know him, and out of the overflow, you come and make an offering by faith? This is a little bit of a shifting of gears here, but there is also some application, and this life of faith given to us in Abel's example. So Abel's life has application for both the original audience and for us today. So in human terms, I want you to think about where we were in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author reminds them to recall the day, the, the, the time in which they were first enlightened. And then he reminds them of the persecution that they endured. And in verse 34, he says something that, that should kind of make make us scratch our heads and go, how is this possible? Do you remember when your property was plundered and your response was that you responded by joyfully accepting all that was going against you, all that was happening? How in the world could you respond in such a way? The righteous live by faith. It is only by the work of God that someone could experience that plundering of their property and and accept it with joy. Now, with Abel's life, in human terms, Abel is the loser of this story, and Cain is the winner. When the righteous are put down, persecuted, and even killed, in worldly terms, it looks like they are the loser. They are defeated. Despite all appearances, the author is trying to help the original recipients and us understand that the life of faith Abel was approved of God, and his testimony of living this life of faith still speaks to this day. So even though it looks like he lost, living by faith is not according to the senses or even to reason. We gladly lay our lives down for our king. People would scratch their heads and question, why would you sacrifice so much in something that I don't quite understand or I haven't seen. We live by faith. This final statement, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's an interesting statement, and I want us to kind of think of it this way. I want to make this really applicable. What will be said at your funeral? What words are going to make up the content of your eulogy? Maybe that 15 minutes of that aspect of of your funeral service, what will be said of your life? And when we look to Abel's life, while we're not given a lot of detail, we know that he was accepted by God. He pleased God, and it was because he lived by faith. We want our testimony to be like Abel's, though we die, our lives would still bear witness to the one who has, who has redeemed us, 
who has spoken and we believed, who made promises and we held fast. Verse 5, he then moves on to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And so in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch was the seventh generation after Adam. He, we're told, had numerous brothers and sisters, Genesis 5, 19. But none of them experienced the kind of blessing of being taken up into the presence of God without having first to die physically. We get to this description in Genesis 5.21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years on this earth. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. If you know your Bibles, there is only one other time in the Old Testament where someone or something similar happens where they don't actually experience death. Elijah was taken up to heaven, if you recall, by a fiery chariot. And so it's left us to reflect and think, what in the world was going on in Enoch's life where he pleased God and was taken? He was just taken away. We're told that he walked with God for over 300 years. It says after he fathered Methuselah, so it could have been even more than 300 years, but he, he had breath on this earth for 365. But, but I think that that time frame may be the emphasis here for us to just think about walking with God. So if you look at Abel, maybe you think, okay, his life was short. That is the, the beginning of a life of faith. By faith, he made offerings. His worship to God was, was right. He is walking with God. And then we get Enoch, this long, extended example of one who walked with the Lord for hundreds of years. He pleased God and was taken up. Verse 6, I believe, is there to help us further understand. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There is a believing that God exists that Enoch clearly testified to the world around him and that he rewards those who seek him. In my mind, the, the visual picture given is this movement. His whole life was marked with a movement towards God, always moving towards him, pursuing him, wanting to be satisfied in him and him alone, and did it for hundreds of years. So that should tell you something. By faith, the righteous shall live by faith. Enoch was, was not one who pursued something that for a period of time it may have satisfied, but then he, he longed for the other things of this world. It's a testimony to all of us that our treasure truly is in God and God alone. Meaning, he is the only cistern that will not run dry. The fountain of life runs forever from him. This example of faith is saying, brothers and sisters, 
pursuing God, trusting God, enjoying him forever, never gets old, and you will find satisfaction only there and forever there. We believe he exists. He is as he, as he reveals himself in the Bible, and we, we believe he is favorably disposed to those who seek him in Christ. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God. We could go on and on, but again, for hundreds and hundreds of years, for him to please God, please don't miss this. This was not that this man just did all the right things. Because if you did all the right things, but you did not have faith, this is telling us in verse 6, it's impossible to please him. So that is not the equation to right standing or enjoyment in God by just thinking, I will do, 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 and then be accepted. Enoch walked by faith, believed, trusted, longed to commune and fellowship with his creator, and it was by faith that he pleased God. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now, just a few kind of introductory remarks here. The biblical text clearly indicates that the flood that happened during this time was a global judgment on all humanity. There's a documentary called Genesis is History. I highly recommend it. Very helpful when just thinking about the reality of this global destruction. Also important to note, the flood's origin is divine. It is not just that some natural experience occurred. It was God's will. In other words, this was not just some natural disaster like any other. The flood was a divinely orchestrated supernatural judgment on humanity. If you believe that God spoke and created, he also told us exactly why there was a flood that destroyed humanity. We must believe the righteous shall live by faith. And the flood typologically points to God's final eschatological judgment. It's to actually help us understand God is holy, right, and just. And outside of the way in which he has provided safety, a safe harbor, redemption, if you decide to say, no, Jesus really isn't the way unto the Father, you need to understand that just as everyone and everything was destroyed in the flood during Noah's time, there will be another judgment on all who, who rebel against God, who want nothing to do with his son. This is a reality of what's to come because of our sin. What does Noah hear? He hears God speaking, this is the warning of coming judgment, this is what you ought to do, and by faith he obeys. So the expression of faith here, you've got Abel maybe painting a picture of the, the beginnings of a life lived by faith, understanding what it means to worship God. You get to, to what we just spent some time with Enoch, and you see one who walked this life of faith, 
And with Noah, we really do get insight on biblical faith being not just giving mental assent to something and your life not being transformed. Rather, you look at him and what does he do? The expression of faith, he acted upon what God had spoken. So internally, he had reverent fear. Externally, he obeyed. If you do not trust God, please hear this again, you cannot please him by obedience. So don't, don't get this example wrong. It's not like, oh man, Noah was that guy who just did all the things that he was supposed to do, and that's why him and his household was, were saved when the flood finally came. Not at all. The righteous shall live by faith. God spoke, he believed it, and he acted upon what God told him to do. The result, salvation of his household, the condemnation of the world, and the inheritance of righteousness, an heir to righteousness. Now, just a few moments to, t- to t- talk about aspects of, of Noah's life living by faith. In 2 Peter 2.5, Noah is described as a herald of righteousness. Another way to say that, he's a, he was a preacher. He was a preacher of righteousness a preacher to his generation, to call them to repent. Everyone who can hear my voice, God's judgment is coming. There is a way that he has made for you to not experience that judgment and to be saved. Will you come in? Now we're told that this ministry of being a a herald of righteousness was also a very long period of time. And I want you to think about one who wants to obey God and things don't circumstantially look the way you think they would look. So Noah had a preaching ministry. While he's constructing this ark, he's calling people to repent. How many people in his church, his congregation, changed their rebellious lifestyle? How how many did he gain during that time? For all those who are called to endure difficult vocations, we look to Noah and say, it's not about the results. We trust God for it all. He spoke, I will do. Even when I'm looking around and I am building a boat in a place where boats should not be constructed, I believe because he has said. Remember, faith unlocks reality. It reveals reality. For all of those looking, according to their senses, he's a fool. According to reason, this makes no sense. God spoke reality. He believed by faith, and he moved and operated in that obedience. Faith had gripped his life. The future promises and realities of God's judgment had a present impact, reality, uh, place in Noah's life, the here and now, that informed how he operated, how he lived. And the final phrase of verse 7 is quite remarkable. By faith, he became an, an heir of the righteousness. He inherited the righteousness that comes by faith. Some approach the Bible and think the people of old were saved in a different way than those in the new. And we just need to understand, when that quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 was given 
at the end of chapter 10, that is to help us that everyone who has walked on this earth that has experienced favor with God, pleased God, has, has been accepted by God, has always believed, lived by faith. I hope that actually brings encouragement to you. There isn't a, a plan A or B on this roadmap to salvation. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, if you look a little bit later in Hebrews 12, verse 2, we actually get a little bit more information about this faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. God is the one who makes this unlocking of reality even possible for a sinner like me and like you. John Flavel, a Puritan, said it like this, The soul is the life of the body, faith is the life of the soul, and Christ is life of faith. And so we've been given three examples in these verses, four through seven, to help us understand a life of faith. Abel is mentioned first to display Life as it has begun in faith. Enoch displays what is found in a man who walks, perseveres, and communes with his God. And then when we get to the builder of the ark, we see faith in action and faith's witness to the world around it. In all of these, it is just painting a picture for us believers in this pilgrimage that we are all on here on earth, what it looks like for the righteous to live by faith. Let us pray. Father, we are so very thankful that you have spoken, that you have promised, and that you are the one who works miracles and darken minds and hardened hearts and wills that are not towards your will or aligned with your will. The miracle of salvation is giving us spiritual eyes to see the kingdom and the glory of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Father, we praise you that faith is a gift given by you and we are then called to live by faith a faith that is transfixed on who you are and what you have said, a faith that is transfixed on the glorious promises that you have given. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. It comes from above. And Lord, as we spend time thinking about what it looks like to live by faith, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, the definition given in the first three verses, the examples given by these men, all would help shape and mold our understanding of a life lived by faith. It is clearly not by sight. And Father, we praise you that the faith that you gives us actually unlocks reality. Father, I pray that your word would build us up, encourage us, shape us into those who are conformed more and more into the image of your Son. And we pray all of this in his glorious name.
Amen.